And so it is a witness and a testimony to the community. And especially coming from the Doe Run, if you're coming from that way, from the west, um, and it looks great. You can see it real good. But um, we thank everybody that was involved in that. Thank you guys for getting that put up. We appreciate it so very, very much. Open your Bibles. Yeah, give them a hand. Do that. Thank you. Amen. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Amen. And I'm going to read some scripture and share some things with you this morning from the Word of God concerning Palm Sunday. Amen. Uh, Some of the kids got their palm branches this morning. They didn't know what they were actually for, and some people may not know. I think most of us do, but we're going to talk about Palm Sunday and the significance and what happened on Palm Sunday, on that first Sunday. See, two of the greatest Sundays on the calendar come one right after the other. The first one is the Lord Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which is Palm Sunday, and that's what we celebrate today. And the second great Sunday, the greatest Sunday, is one week after Palm Sunday. The greatest Sunday of all is when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a lot of people this week on Good Friday that will be celebrating the crucifixion of Christ. And um, uh, we, we do that along with the resurrection, with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But today, we want to look at what happened on Palm Sunday. So in Luke, and, and Luke gives the account, and Matthew gives the account, and Mark gives the account, and, and John as well gives the account of Palm Sunday. But we're going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning with verse number 37. Amen. Do you have it? And they do have it on the screen as well. And it says this, Then, as he, speaking of Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. So when we're praising God with a loud voice, we're being scriptural, okay, just to let you know. They, they began to rejoice and they, they praised God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, there's always some of those in the crowd, by the way, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. All that praise and worship was getting on their religious nerves. And so they said, you, you need to rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Somebody's going to praise God. It's either going to be me or you, and me and you, or it's going to be a rock. But somebody, creation and nature will praise God if we don't. And so, I'm not going to let no rock praise God in my place. I'm going to do my, my, my part in praising and worshiping the Lord. Amen. But he said, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 41, now as he drew near... He saw the city, notice this, and wept over it. 
saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And then, verse 45, and then, where did he go next? Then he went into the temple and he began to, what? Drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. I want to talk to you this morning on the thought of Jesus, when Jesus was king for a day. When Jesus was king for a day. Father, add your blessing to this word today, to your word. Help me to minister what you have laid upon my heart. Help me to speak your word today. May my words be with grace, seasoned with salt, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And hide your word in our heart today, in Jesus' name. And we give you praise. And everybody said, Amen. And amen. So here in Luke 19 is a description of what happened on what we know as Palm Sunday and the, what be actually began that final week in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been on the earth. He's been, he's been in ministry for some 33 and a half years. And this will be his final week on earth. And there's a sense among the people that something big was about to happen. The people are excited. There was an air of expectancy with the people. There was an air of excitement. And verse 11 of that uh, 19th chapter tells us exactly what that expectancy was because verse 11 says that they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. They believed that Jesus was that Messiah. They, 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 they believed he was the one that God would send as the Messiah. They knew what the scriptures taught. They knew what the prophets had prophesied and what the word of God had foretold. And they believed that God would send the Messiah and that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom on the earth and that he was going to do it right then. He was going to do it right at that time. But they misunderstood the scripture. See, they believed that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And they did on this day believe he was the king as we shall see. But they believed that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for the purpose of unseating the Roman government. That he was going to come in and he was going to kick Pilate out of, out, of, out of his office. That he was going to free Israel from Roman rule. That he was coming to establish his kingdom and the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what they thought was going to happen. That's, what every, that's why everybody was so excited. They didn't realize that Jesus was coming to die on a cross for their sins so that they could be redeemed. See, Palm 
Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, was a glorious day. As, they, as Jesus came down the, the descent of the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that they laid their clothes before Him. They took their coats off their robes and they laid it in the path before Him. And they also took palm branches. And that's what the palm branches are for. Those that were there that day were waving the palm branches as they cried, Hosanna before the Lord, Hosanna to their king. But they laid those palm branches before the Lord, and it was a day of great excitement and great praise and great rejoicing. Their king had come. And so it was a glorious day, but it was also a sad day as well. Palm Sunday was a sad day. Well, yes, it was. It was, a, it was really kind of a bittersweet day. What do you mean, Pastor Rick? Well, it was a sweet day because they were praising the king. That was great. That was awesome. This was the triumphant, glorious entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus said, you know, as we, as we read in the text, that if they didn't cry out and they didn't praise their kings, king, that the rocks and the stones would cry out. So it was a sweet day in that respect. But it was also a bitter day because the same people who were crying Hosanna on Sunday would be crying crucify him by Friday. This same group would crown him king, but only for a day. You see, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem got everybody's attention that day. When he rode down that side of Mount Olivet and rode to the city of Jerusalem, he had everybody's attention. Jesus, now listen, Jesus was making a statement. His hour had come, and he was declaring... And he was revealing who he was. He was coming into Jerusalem. And what his coming into Jerusalem that day was for, it had great symbolism. Do you understand that? I mean, there was great symbolism in what was taking place. I mean, when, when, when you think about it, see a Roman conqueror, when a Roman conqueror, a Roman general returned from battle after he had, had been uh, uh, victorious, he would enter the city. On a, on a donkey and the people would do that. They would wave palm branches because palm branches are a sign of victory. You read in the book of Revelation that all of those saints, the martyred saints that stand around the throne, remember when we studied Revelation that they have palm branches in their hand? What does that mean? That's a sign of victory. So those Roman conquerors and, and um, uh, you know, they would come into the city and they would, they would, they would lay palm branches before them. So when Jesus entered the city on a donkey and they were laying palm branches before him, Jesus was declaring that he is a hero. He was declaring to the Roman, uh, to the Roman nation, to the Roman government that he is the conquering king. So that's what he was saying to Rome. But also for the Jews, there was a, there was a great symbolism and he was saying something to the Jews as well because he was plainly, plainly, openly 
telling the Jews that he is the Messiah. I know there's some today that preach and teach that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Oh, yes, he did claim to be the Messiah on more than one occasion, but especially on Palm Sunday when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. Amen. When he rode into Jerusalem on that foal of a donkey that had never been ridden before, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture. And Israel, the Jews, knew what the Scripture said. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 was being fulfilled on Palm Sunday because Zechariah had said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, listen, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, God's promises are being fulfilled here. Prophecy is actually being fulfilled, and the people are seeing him come into the city on that donkey, proclaiming, this is our king. This is how Zechariah said that our king would come. And by the way, he was coming on the very day, my Lord, on the very day that was predicted by Daniel several thousand years before that, at least a thousand years, 700 to a thousand years before that, when Daniel predicted the very day that Messiah would ride into Jerusalem and he fulfilled prophecy coming in the city on that very day. I'm going to tell you what, God's word is true, ladies and gentlemen. God's word is true and he will do what he said that he would do. If he said it, he'll do it. Amen? Praise God. So he was declaring to the Jews that he was the Messiah. And the people seeing him, they come to greet him. And they, 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 they said, blessed is the king. And this is what they were saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And in Matthew's gospel, it says that they were saying, and we, they were saying this, and we sang it this morning. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the word Hosanna means save now. So this was a very joyous day, a very happy day. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, had come into Jerusalem. Their king had come to save them. And they were singing Hosanna, save now. But they were saying it in ignorance of his true purpose. See, what they wanted Church, what they wanted was a military Messiah. Are you with him? Are you listening? He, he, they wanted a military Messiah to come and accomplish their agenda. They wanted a Messiah to come and unseat Rome and set up the kingdom age right then and there. They wanted Jesus to come and deliver them from Roman bondage and slavery. But Jesus was not coming as a military Messiah according to their agenda, but Jesus was coming as the suffering Savior to accomplish God's agenda. Now, I'm glad that's why he came. Amen. Jesus was not coming here to, uh, to overthrow Caesar, but Jesus was coming at this time to overthrow Satan and to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and to overthrow your and my sin. Come on, somebody needs a 
Amen. See, that's this is so telling today because this is the kind of Jesus that people want today. They want a Jesus. They're kind of like the Jews were of that day. They want a Jesus to fit their agenda. Oh, hallelujah. They wanted Jesus to fit their agenda. They wanted Jesus in their life and to come into their life as long as he does what they want him to do. They want God. And there's so many like this today. Hopefully no one like that is here today that is like this. But they, there's so many that want a God on their terms. You see, Christianity is being presented today for the most part as a self-help philosophy. Can I get an amen somewhere? They're, they're being, you know, people are being taught and they're being told and they're being, you know, people are saying, preachers are saying, well, if you get Jesus, if all you have to do is get Jesus and Jesus will make you successful and you can live your best life now and you can be prosperous and you can be healthy and wealthy and wise. All you have to do is add a little bit of Jesus to your life. Well, salvation is more than that. Come on somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus will give you a good life. The best life you can live. Amen. But I'm going to tell you what. It's not your best life now. The best life you're going to live is going to be when that trumpet sounds and we're in the presence of the Lord Almighty. That's what I'm looking forward to. Come on, amen. But see, you know, we, 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 we don't, people today are not telling what Jesus demands from people that accept the Lord. See, it's just, you know, well, Jesus will help you and Jesus will do this and Jesus will fit your agenda and he will do a lot of good things. But they don't tell them about the Jesus that demands obedience. They don't tell them about a Jesus that requires a change in our life. Come on now, don't get quiet on me. Hallelujah. Jesus, a Jesus that will change our life and require us to live a different life and walk a different walk and talk a different talk when we encounter Him. See, people don't want to get excited about that. It's kind of like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've, which ones? And Jesus named off some and he said well I've done all that already he said so what do I lack yet and you know what this boy this young man was very rich and Jesus said to him well what you need to do then is go and sell everything you got and give that to the poor and then come and take up your cross and follow me and you'll have eternal life you'll have some treasure in heaven and the Bible said that rich young man walked away very sorrowful because he had great possessions he turned completely away from Jesus. You see, Jesus was telling him, you can't have me an eternal life on your agenda and according to your conditions. You got to come my way. Amen. Most pastors today and churches today, that rich young ruler comes in their church, they're going to give him anything he wants. They're going to let him live any way he wants because they're going to put a lot of money. He's going to put a lot of money in the church offering. But I'm going to tell you what, it doesn't matter whether we're rich, doesn't matter whether we're poor, doesn't matter what side of the tracks we come from, praise God. Everybody's got to come through the same way, through the same gate, and that is through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Amen. What He did at the cross. Hallelujah. So, we're not, you know, 
we're, we're, we're not going to receive Jesus and live according to our own agenda, but according to His. But notice this. As Jesus comes down the descent of the Mount of Olives, and He draws near to the city of Jerusalem, did you notice what He does? When He gets near to Jerusalem, I mean, they're praising Him. They're shouting, Hosanna to the King. This is our King. They're laying their palm branches. I've done lost mine. Praise God. They're laying their palm branches down before Him. They're shouting the praises of the Lord. But as Jesus approaches the city, the, the, the crowd, as they're whipped into a frenzy and filled with rejoicing, then what, what does Jesus do? We see Jesus weeping. Isn't that right? It said that when he, when he came near to the city, that he began to weep and he began to cry. Now, the word there, the Greek word for weeping there, it doesn't mean that he just had a you know, little crocodile tears coming down. But the Greek word for weeping there means that he openly wept. It's a word that means heavy sobbing, the heavy sobbing of agony. It's a strong emotion. So Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem, you've got to get this. Jesus comes to the city. He looks at the city, and he begins to openly sob. He begins to openly weep. He begins to openly wail over the city. Great sobbing cries. This is the second time. Time that it's recorded in the Gospels, in the Scripture, where Jesus openly wept. And we all know the other time, don't we? You remember the other time where it says Jesus wept? It's a verse of Scripture we've all memorized because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Amen. And in the book of John, chapter 11, verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. And he wept that time at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Remember that? Jesus was weeping at the grave of Lazarus over the sorrow that sin brings to humanity. Jesus wept openly at the grave of Lazarus over the pain and the anguish that death causes. And, you know, he feels the pain. He felt the pain and the grief of Martha and Mary and those that were there in the family of Lazarus. But he feels the pain and the grief in life still today. Your pain, your grief. How many knows that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities? How many of y'all know that Jesus cares about what happens in your life and that he is there. He is moved with compassion. We talked about that the, the, the beatitude Wednesday night of blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and the mercy. We talked about the mercy and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that he is moved with compassion today. Whatever you are going through today, whatever you are facing in your life today, whatever kind of sorrow or sadness that is, has come against you today, I want you to know, and, and you know, and, and the thought maybe comes to your mind and the devil says, well, the Lord doesn't care about what happens to you. Let me tell you, the devil is a liar. Jesus loves you. He feels your hurt. He feels your pain. He feels your compassion. He knows what you're going through and he comes on the scene to comfort and to help you in your time of need. Amen? But that was at the tomb of Lazarus. He was weeping over, over the sorrow that was there in those people's lives. But he's weeping now here at Jerusalem for a different reason. See, the ministry of Jesus is almost over. One week left. That's it. Jesus has ministered for three and a half years. He has healed their sick. 
He's raised their dead. He's cleansed their lepers. He's fed their hungry on more than one occasion. He's forgiven them of their sins. He's delivered them from demonic possession and demonic oppression and demonic activity. He's delivered them and set them free. He has brought joy everywhere he went. But in spite of all that, he's mostly been refused and rejected. He knew one of his own. At this particular time, Jesus knew that one of his own hand-picked disciples is going to betray him and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver for the price, for the price of a slave. Jesus knew that one of his inner circle, Simon Peter, was going to deny him three times, three times deny that he even knew him. Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. That the religious hierarchy, the religious leaders, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, that that them and Herod were going to conspire and move the crowd to put him to death. But mostly Jesus knew that this same fickle crowd that was crying Hosanna on Palm Sunday by the end of the week was going to be crying crucify him away with him give us Barabbas crucify him let him be put to death and he knew this is what was going to happen he knew that they because of their rejection of him here's the thing here's why he's weeping he knows all this is going to happen and Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected and he knew that they, because of their rejection of him, were going to pay a horrible price for their sin. Because, as he said in verse 44, because they missed the day of their visitation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They missed the golden opportunity. Do you realize what an opportunity this was for Israel, for those people right here? It was their golden opportunity. It was their day of visitation. And Jesus predicted and he saw and he knew prophetically what was coming on Jerusalem. He saw the destruction that was coming on Jerusalem in the next four, within the next 40 years in AD 70. Jesus knew that the Romans Romans were going to destroy the city and that over a half a million Jews were going to die in that siege and in that destruction of that city. He knew that their beloved temple, the beautiful temple, was going to be totally destroyed and burned to the ground, fulfilling the prophecy that he himself gave when he said not one stone will be left upon another. He knew that they were missing their opportunity and he was sobbing and he was wailing over them because the rejection that was coming and it broke his heart. He loved the city of Jerusalem. Can I tell you something ladies and gentlemen? That Jerusalem is God's choice. Amen. I all thank God. You, you, you can say what you want to. You can get mad if you want to. Amen. I don't know now if I'm getting anointed or just excited. But but you can say what you want to. But when, when President Donald Trump, when President Donald J. Trump, praise God, he moved that, 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 that capital, you know, made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. I'm telling you, God smiled on that. I said God smiled on that and was pleased with that. 
Amen. Because Jerusalem is God's chosen city. Jerusalem is God's chosen place. Jerusalem is where God and Jesus Christ are going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And then in the new earth, hallelujah, throughout eternity, hallelujah, God Almighty and His Son Jesus will reign and rule from that capital city, the new Jerusalem. He loves Jerusalem. And we must pray for the peace of Jerusalem because God loves that city. Oh, hallelujah. I got to get back up here. I get excited. You know that. But Jesus is saying to them, they have missed their opportunity. Can I tell you something today? A lot of people are missing their opportunity. See, the Lord will never force Himself on anyone. He never forces anybody to live for Him. We don't believe the unscriptural doctrine of... There is a doctrine of predestination. Don't have time to discuss that. But that unscriptural doctrine of predestination and Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism, and that point that says that everybody, everybody is predetermined to either be saved or lost. That's not true. That teaching is damnable, ladies and gentlemen, that says that some God has predestined to be saved and they can't do anything about it. They'll be saved no matter whether they want to or not. And there's, there's some, they say, that are predestined to be lost and burn in hell. And there isn't anything if they wanted to be saved. They couldn't because God has not predestined them to be saved. That is not biblical scriptural teaching. For whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever, not just the elect, not just a limited number of people, but that whosoever will pray. God should, should can come and not perish but whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. See God will not force himself. Jesus will not force himself on anyone. He'll knock at our heart's door. He'll deal with us. He'll have the Holy Spirit drawing us and pleading with us. That's why you never want to give up praying for your loved ones that are unsaved. Pray that the Holy Ghost get a hold of them. Pray that the Lord deal with them day and night. Oh, hallelujah. And claim their souls for the kingdom of God. Because as long as the Lord is dealing with them, there's a chance that they will yield and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For no one comes to me, Jesus said, except the Father who sent me draw him. God gives you and God gives me an opportunity. He knocks on our heart's door. But he will never force you or I to believe. See, unbelief and rejection is something that breaks the heart of Jesus. That's why he was weeping over the city. They were going to reject him. They had rejected him. And he knows that when individuals or nations or governments, whoever or whatever may be, Jesus 
knows that when they reject him and reject this gospel that there are consequences and there are repercussions that come for sin and Jesus knows what sin does to people and what it was going to do to his people and to Jerusalem so he wept his heart was broken over that city and over the sin of rejection I there's things that as a pastor that I have to say that are not pleasing to say but I have to say them because they're true and because they're biblical and because the Lord tells me to. I am not. I love every single one of you today. I want this church to be filled with people. I want people to be saved. But I am not going to sugarcoat the gospel. And I'm not going to tell. Amen. I'm not going to tell people. That they can live any way they want and still make heaven their home. You see, sin has consequences. Not only eternal consequences in judgment, but also in this life. See, here's the thing. Satan lies to people. And Satan tells them that, you know, well, you know, it just doesn't matter how you live. God loves you. We've got, we've got that, that, that sweet, sugary Jesus. And we're going to talk about him in a minute. That sweet, sugary Jesus that, that, that tolerates everything and overlooks everything and doesn't care what people do. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus was weeping, ladies and gentlemen. He was weeping over this city because he knew devastation was coming because they had rejected his call. He had showed them miracle after miracle. He had preached the kingdom of God. He had demonstrated the kingdom of God. And they still refused to believe who he was. But sin always brings devastation. Sin always brings ruin and misery into our life. And it saddens the heart of the Lord. So listen, here's the deal. God deals with our hearts. God draws us. God reveals His Son to us. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't run away from Jesus. Don't push Jesus aside and say, Not today, but come to Jesus and let Jesus cleanse you and wash you, and save you, and be the Lord of your life. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. He weeps over those who reject him. But now Jesus enters the temple. He comes, he weeps at the city, he comes into the city, he rides into the city of Jerusalem. And the first place he goes is to the temple. He goes into the temple, he looks around, he sees the situation. And can I tell you that what Jesus saw, he didn't like. Mm. See, I could go off a whole another direction there. But when he looks at our churches today, does he like what he sees? Does he approve of what he sees? Many times, I'm afraid he does not. But the Bible said there in verse 45 and 46 that he went in the temple and he began to do what? He began to drive out. Those who bought and sold in the temple, saying to them, It's written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Mark's gospel gives a little more detail and says that when Jesus went in there, that he um, 
begin to drive out those that bought and sold in the temple. And, and Mark adds that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now these tables of these money changers were not little folding tables like we have in the back. You can just flip them up and fold the legs up and walk. No, these were heavy wooden, big, large, heavy wooden tables. They were marble. Some of them had marble tops on them. So these were very heavy tables. Amen. They were massive. They were, they were, they were like I said, made of heavy wood and marble. And here Jesus is going in there and he's just flipping these tables over. I mean, money's flying everywhere. Change is going everywhere. Coins are flying everywhere. And Jesus said, you know, the cages of the doves are opening. The doves are flying out of their cages. Amen. And he's driving these money changers out. What is Jesus doing? This is the same Jesus that said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Amen. This is the same Jesus that we, that we read about, how that he loves. He just wept over the city. Now he's going in and he's now cleaning house. So, you, you know, <laughs> we've got two sides of Jesus. He weeps because of the sins of people, and He calls and woos them. But He also is a Jesus that is upset and, may I use the word, angry because of sin and because of defilement and because of what they were allowing to happen in the temple and what they had brought into the temple. And so Jesus is, you know, He's angry at what's taking place in God's house. What was going on? What was going on? Well, they just, did they just have a couple of book tables and tape tables up and they were selling some Christian books and Christian records and things? No, no, no. That wasn't what was going on at all, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. What was happening here in the temple were with these money changers. Who were these people? These money changers were people that were, that were, that were cheating people. They were keeping other people from worshiping. Instead of praying for the people, they were praying on the people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And there, there's those in ministry today. God help us today. Be careful of what you watch and what you listen to and what you support. Amen. There's ministries out here that are praying on people. They are praying on the elderly, on those who sit and watch them on TV. Amen. And, and so we need to be careful. That's what these people were doing. They were praying on the people. They were actually cheating those who came to pay the temple tax. People were coming from everywhere. They were coming from all over, the, 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 uh, all over Israel. They were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover week. And they had to pay a temple tax. So they brought their currency and they had to exchange their currency for the half shekels that they needed for the temple tax, number one. They were, when they went to exchange that currency of theirs, they were charging these money changers in the house of God were charging an exorbitant higher rate of exchange for that half a shekel that these people needed. They were 
cheating the people out of money. There were some that brought with them sacrifices to sacrifice at Passover. Traveled for many, many miles to come to Jerusalem. Brought their own lamb, their own goat, their own sacrifice. And they brought them. They had to bring it into the temple and have it inspected. And they would inspect that animal. And here's how crooked and undermining and dirty dealing they were. Even if that was a perfect lamb, they'd make sure that they found some flaw or something wrong if they had to make it up. And they would reject the person's sacrifice and say, no, we, you can't offer that. But I just happen to have, <laughs> I just happen to have some lambs and goats here that I'll sell you. And what were they doing with that price of those lambs? They were jacking that price way up. They were preying on the people. They were cheating the people. God help religious institutions and pastors and preachers and churches that will cheat people and lie to people and use God's money for what it shouldn't be used for. Is anybody here listening to what I've got to say today? Come on, amen. And when Jesus saw this cheating that was going on, and when Jesus saw the sin that they brought right into the house of God, into the very temple in the very house of God, it angered the master. It upset the master. It made him angry. Amen. Because people were being taken advantage of. They were being discriminated against. They were not being allowed to worship because they couldn't afford to pay what was put upon them to pay, what was required of them to pay. And people were being turned away from worship and away from God. Let me tell you, that angers the Master. That makes the Lord angry because God's house, are you hearing it? God's house is to be open to all people. God's house is to be open to everybody. We don't put no regulations on who can come and come to the Lord and worship the Lord. Amen? See, it doesn't matter the color of of a person's skin. It doesn't matter the size of their bank account. It doesn't matter what their social status is, whether they're rich or poor or affluent in society or whether they're red or whether they're yellow or whether they're black or whether they're white or whether they're Hispanic. Oh, God, heal us of this sin of racism. Oh, God, heal us of our discrimination. Oh, God, forgive us and make us a church that loves everybody and reaches out to a community in a world that is lost and undone without Christ. Hallelujah. Some youth groups only want to go after the really cool kids. You know, if they got there, I don't even know what the shoes are now, you know. I remember my kids growing up is, you know, Air Jordans or whatever. You got some Nike Airs or whatever. Oh, only go for the cool kids. Only go for the affluent. But we don't really want any homeless. We don't want any, you know, we don't really need those kind of people. Those who are, have been um, drug addicts or those who have been incarcerated. Some churches say, no, we'd rather them go somewhere else. Well, let me tell you where you can send your people that have been incarcerated. Let me tell you where you can send your people who have been on drugs. Let me tell you where you can send your homeless and your poor. If you don't want them in your church, Abundant Life Family Church, 3954 Highway 221. Hallelujah. We are open to them and we've got a gospel message for them and we've got the Word of God for them. Amen. I don't care whether they're down and out. I don't care what kind of condition they are in. I know a Jesus whose arms are open 
and wide to forgive, to cleanse, and to make them sons and daughters of Almighty God. Oh, hallelujah. All this is happening on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. So Jesus is angry and he's running everybody out. The ones that are being a barrier. You know, we need to be a bridge, not a barrier. Amen? We need to be a bridge to others. Not a barrier to keep people from Jesus, but to bring them to Jesus. But Jesus, I'm about done. You know, I never finish at 12, so hang with me. Don't expect it now. Amen. Can't teach that old dog new tricks. Somebody said, can we ever get out at 12? Yeah, we can start church at 10 or 9. <laughs> Let's bump it up a little bit, but Jesus, uh, let's just give God his time. That's good, Brother Eric. I, amen. Let's give God his time, and that's what we're doing. So Jesus is in the temple. He's displeased with what he sees, so what does he do? He has a house cleaning. He's cleaning house. He cleanses the temple. He drives out of the temple that which is defiling and unclean. Now, this is the second time. Jesus did this twice. How many knows that? Jesus cleansed the temple twice. He did it at the beginning of his ministry, and he's doing it now at the end of his ministry. And this is the second cleansing. Get this. Get this. This is the second cleansing of the temple. Now, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that not right? Amen? Is that what the Bible says? This body, God's not dwelling in temples made with hands anymore, but now the veil's been rent, and the power of God, the Shekinah glory, moved out of the Holy of Holies, and now resides in our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. So when we come to Jesus, when we come to the Lord and make Him the Lord and Savior of our life and we're saved and we're born again, what does Jesus do? He comes into our life and we have a first cleansing and He cleanses our temple. And He makes it clean so that His Holy Spirit can come in us and dwell in us. When we come to Jesus, what does He do? Sin is driven out. People say, well, I, got, I, don't wanna, I, I know I can't give this up, or I can't quit this, or I can't quit that. You don't have to quit nothing. You have to accept Christ. And what's wrong in you, Jesus will clean it up. Come on, I said, Jesus will clean it up. He'll get out of there what needs to be getting out. He'll drive out the sin. He takes the filthy habits and expels those filthy habits. This is what He does at our first cleansing when we get born again. Defilement and uncleanness is removed from our life when we get born again. Is that right? 
So when a person comes and accepts Christ or bows in their uh, bows their head and their seat in the in the sanctuary and accepts Christ, He cleanses your temple and drives out that which is unclean and prepares you for His indwelling Spirit. But you know what? Over time, over time, you may need another cleaning. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. I said there may, and, and not may, but there does come a time in our life that we need a second cleansing, another cleansing. That's what Jesus is illustrating here by the first cleansing of the temple and the second cleansing of the temple. Amen? Because over time, sometimes old things, old things find a way of getting back in. And sometimes our life gets cluttered up with stuff that doesn't belong there. And we need another spiritual house cleaning in our lives. We need Jesus to come back in and drive out and take out and remove some stuff that doesn't need to be there. Listen, even though you've been saved and the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed you, maybe your spiritual life has become a little cluttered up and there's some stuff in there that doesn't belong and there's stuff that shouldn't be there. Amen. There's a few things that need to go and you know what we need to do we need to take an inventory and say Jesus search my house look in every nook and cranny search this is your temple present your body says what a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God as the temple of God and let Jesus say come in and say to him Lord it's time for a little spring cleaning come on it's time for a little spring cleaning on Palm Sunday to clean out some of the stuff that needs to be gone from my life. Our city of Farmington has a cleanup week every week. They have that done in Fairtown. Yeah, they have a cleanup week every year. I said every week, but a cleanup week every year in April. Ours is coming up. I've already got junk on the curb. Can't wait. Get that junk. Most of the time, somebody will come and get my junk before the trash people get my junk. One man's trash is another man's treasure. You know what they say? (laughs) But we've got cleanup week coming up. There's already, I've got stuff out. There's people got junk out. They're cleaning out. They're doing spring cleaning. They're putting their junk out on the curb to be picked up. The stuff that they want to get rid of. It's time for a temple cleansing. Amen? Sometimes my desk... At home or here, my desk, Brother Nathan's your desk ever get messed up? Brother Rogers, your desk ever get messed up? Or do you, are you just neat and tidy? <laughs> Rogers looks like the Battle of Armageddon. Well, sometimes mine does too. And uh, boy, I get it, you know, it, gets, it starts getting messy. I get papers here and books piled up and this here and that here. And I'll go in to sit down and study. Brother Terry don't even have a place to lay anything. It's all, and I'll tell Vicki, I'll, I'll look in there. I've got books, some of them stacked this high. I've got papers stacked. And I'll say, I have got to clean my desk off. And I'll get in there and I'll clean. I'll get my trash can. Sometimes my trash can's just running over. And I get my trash can out and I throw away papers. And I go through my, my desk drawers and stuff. 
stuff that I don't need. And I think, am I going to use this or not? And I'm really even better on it. Now, I watched a show on TV the other day. Vicki was gone. And I turned and flipped through the channels. There was a show called Hoarders. Hoarders? Anybody ever seen that? I never did see that before. And I turned that on there, hoarders, and I was, I was, my Lord, I was horrified. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Amen. I, then people here walking through their house like this, you know. They can't get through because of junk everywhere. One guy's got an obsession with different colored shopping bags. He's got a million shopping bags everywhere. My Lord. And I looked at that and I said, oh, God, help me. I need to clean my desk out now. Huh? Got a cleaning time. And I'll get my desk all cleaned out and throw out junk that I don't need and get it all cleaned up. And it's beautiful. And I go in there right now. My desk in my office here at the church is, oh, it just don't have nothing on it. It's nice. You may come back in by Wednesday and it may be piled up again. It has. We have a tendency to think for things to get cluttered. And we have, my, my, my point is this. A one-time cleaning don't do it. We got to keep things clean. Amen? And Vicki and I are not hoarders. But if they did a show called Junk Drawer People, Amen. I don't think we're hoarders, but we got some drawers in our house that you can look in, and it looks like we're hoarding some stuff in some of those junk drawers. Amen. I mean, they're piled up and running over. I don't know what's in there. You know what would be the best thing to do is get a 55-gallon trash drum and pull that drawer out and dump the whole thing in it and get rid of it. That's what the Lord needs to do with our temple. Clean out our temple. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. Clean out our temple. It's time for Jesus to clean house. Do a little bit of spring cleaning for us. Examine ourselves and pray today. On this Palm Sunday and say, Lord, show me if there's something in my life that needs to be removed and changed. I want my temple clean. How many want your temple cleaned out? Amen. But see, these people... Crowned to Jesus, king for one day. But Jesus doesn't want to be crowned king for a day. Jesus wants to be your king every day. Jesus does not want to be just a Sunday Jesus. You know, a lot of people have a Sunday Jesus. There's a lot of people got an Easter Jesus. He's king on Easter, but that's the only time you see him. You don't see him again. Oh, thank God for him. If you want to come on Sunday, uh, Easter only once a year, come to Abundant Life once a year. Let me preach to you once a year. I'll guarantee if you do, I'll touch something that'll get at you. Huh? <laughs> Just give me one shot. But Jesus, you know, he don't want to just be a Sunday-only Jesus or an Easter Jesus. You know what Jesus wants to be? He wants to be a Monday Jesus. He wants to be a Tuesday Jesus. He wants to be a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday Jesus. He wants to be your Lord every single day of your life. Because if he's not Lord of all, as they say, he's not Lord at all. So clean my house, Lord. I'm going to ask our worship team to make their way back. See, Palm Sunday is a lot of things. But it's a temple cleaning day. 
And you know what? You may be here this morning. You may have some problems in your life. and You ever have, have problems in your life that you try to correct and you try to get answers for and you try to get them straightened out? And the more you try, the worse they get. Anybody ever had that? Kind of like having your car stuck in the mud. Ever been stuck in a mud hole? Boy, you just rock that thing and put it in reverse. You'll tear your transmission out, going backwards and forwards, you know, rocking it, and then you'll, you'll floor it. Well, if I can just put her down, I'm just going to floor it, and I'm coming out of here. And all it does is get you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. We were just talking about that this morning, Brother Wayne and I, and was just talking about that this morning out there. Getting that, I got that lawnmower hung up out there a couple of years ago in this hole down here, mud hole, and got deeper and deeper. And deeper and deeper. But you know what? Maybe you've been trying to get yourself out. And you just get deeper all the time. You're in trouble and you don't know what to do. And maybe you thought, well, a little bit of religion will help. A little bit of church will help. But I'm going to tell you something. A little religion won't help. And a little church won't help. But a whole lot of Jesus. I said a whole lot of Jesus is what every one of us need today. Amen. And what we need to do on this Palm Sunday is come and say, Lord, I can't resolve this. I can't fix this. I can't sort this out. I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. I've got a weakness I can't overcome. I've got a besetting sin that only you can take out and only you can change. And I want you to come in and cleanse me a second time. Maybe you've never been born again today. Come and let him clean your temple the first time. But he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll only ask Him to. Amen. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Father.